Welcome to the first Sunday of 2020. And I am, I'm a New Year's guy. Like, I love the new year. I like a fresh start because, as Jeff mentioned, sometimes we just need a, a fresh start, a clean slate. And I'm thankful that God in his sovereignty saw fit to give us the seasons and the years. Um, and I really, I really do enjoy the new year. But I do wonder, how, how are your New Year's resolutions going so far? I saw a couple things uh, online this week. Some people want to start off the new year with a diet. Let's see. I've removed all the bad food from the house. It was delicious. Maybe that was your resolution. Or maybe it's exercise. I like this. How about this one? Uh, day one, drove by the gym. Baby steps. <laughs> Baby. Got to start somewhere. And then on Friday, I was at work, and we have a, a shared refrigerator. And I opened up the refrigerator, and inside was, was this Tupperware. You might have to turn your head. But it says, no whining, no quitting, no excuses. Somebody had put that in their, their food. I don't know what was in there, but uh, I don't, I'm guessing it was something they didn't want to eat. It's like, no, no whining, suck it down. Um, if, if you're off to a bad start, don't worry. There's always 2021, right? You got uh, you get a new year every uh, 366 days this year, right? It is a, a leap year. Um, but did you know that the tradition of, of New Year's resolutions goes back uh, thousands of years? In fact, the Babylonians, about 4,000 years ago, had this tradition around the New Year, and it was a religious festival for them, where they would have a resolution to pay off all their debts and to give back everything they had borrowed. Somebody like, oh, that's a, that's a decent resolution. I should try that on for size. Uh, the Romans, also 2,000 years ago, they, at the beginning of the year, they, they pledged themselves to be good citizens. That would be all right for us this year, right? Election year, here we go. Um, but it was an honor of a Roman god called Janus. And basically, they, were, they would say, coming to God, this year's my year, God. I'm going to be better. Don't be angry with me this year. Like if, and if I, if I do my part, God, could, could you do your part was kind of the idea. And I wonder if in our New Year's resolutions, and maybe your resolution was to have no more resolutions. That's fine. But... I wonder if we approach the year as in if, all right, God, and we have this transaction mentality. I'm going to do my part this year, and then if you could just come through for me. Like if you could help me out of the situation, or if you could help me get that new job, I'm, I'm going to do my part, and then you do your part. And we almost have a, a business-like transaction going on with, with God. Um, and, if, and if that's the way that you approach God, then I'm guessing your prayer life is going to be dry, stale, just rote, just going through the motions. And, and my hope over the course of the next two months, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer, is to, to move us away from that, to stir something in us and to equip us to pray. So we're going to be looking at prayer, specifically the, the Lord's Prayer, your tradition it may be called the Our Father, depending on your background, but Jesus, multiple times, we're going to see this morning, he said, when you pray, do like this. When you pray, do like this. When you pray. So Jesus made the assumption that we were, in fact, going to pray. Uh, and I get the sense, just in general, that prayer is on life support in many American Christian lives. Like, in fact, I came across this uh, obituary like 20 years ago, and as I was preparing, I, I happened to come across it, and it goes like this. 
Mrs. Prayer Meeting died recently at First Neglected Church of Denver. Born many years ago in the midst of great revivals, she was a strong, healthy child, uh, grew into a worldwide prominence, and was one of the most influential members of the church family. But for the past several years, Sister Prayer Meeting has been failing in health, gradually wasting away until rendered helpless by stiffness of knees, coldness of heart, inactivity, and weakness of purpose and willpower. Experts, including Dr. Works, Dr. Reform, and Dr. Justice, disagreed as to the cause of her fatal illness, administering large doses of organizations, socials, contests, and drives, but to no avail. A biopsy report concluded that lack of faith and spiritual food were the two main contributing causes of her death. Only a few were present at her funeral, sobbing over memories of her past beauty and power. The prayer meeting, prayer. Now, I don't want this to be a guilt trip. I want this to be a prayer trip that we take. And I've um, confessed before that prayer is one of those disciplines for me that is a challenge. I am a um, like type A, I got my list of things to do, and prayer doesn't always feel productive for me. I spend five minutes in prayer, 20 minutes in prayer. When I'm done, it doesn't look like anything's been accomplished. And so this is, so we are on this journey together, okay? So I'm not up here saying, you need to pray more and you need to, like I am reflecting on myself in this as we go through this uh, series as well. Um, and, and maybe your hindrance to prayer is that you think prayer is for the experts. Like I don't, I don't even know what to pray, Matthew. Like where do I, where do I start? And, and I'm reminded of, of the mother who heard her young daughter praying, not, not my daughter, I don't know if my daughter prays yet. She needs prayer. Um, <laughs> you know, you know. Um, but who was the, the mother heard her daughter praying and was so proud. As her daughter prayed, uh, now, Lord, I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if he hollers, let him go. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. <laughs> and like, and for you, you, you feel like you just don't know what to pray. Like you don't have the right words and, and your words aren't, aren't big enough. Or, and so maybe there's a, a disconnect there. Um, and one, one author said, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Like having the, the heart in it. There was something about the prayer life of Jesus that caused his disciples to say, Lord, teach us to pray. There was something, imagine the prayer life of Jesus was not stale and it wasn't just going through the motions, but there was something about the way that Jesus prayed that caused the disciples to say, teach us to pray like, like you pray. And, uh, and Jesus taught his disciples only one prayer, only one prayer, it's the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and there's been some debate in, throughout history of the church as if the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer or is it a model of prayer. In other words, should we pray these exact words as a model prayer, or should we pray them as, as more of a model? Like it's, it's simple, it's clear, it's humble, it begins with praise, and then there's um, uh, petition and, and confession, and then it ends with praise again. Now, if you never used a single word from the Lord's Prayer, but you prayed along the lines of the Lord's Prayer in your own words, I don't think God's going to be offended by that. On the other hand, on the other hand, I don't know if you can improve upon the words of Jesus. And it's not plagiarism to pray the very words that Jesus prayed. So I think it, the prayer is both a model of prayer and a model prayer. It's both and. It doesn't have to be one or the other. 
but we want to pray and, and pray it sincerely. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Uh, for the next few weeks, it's going to be our, our starting point. We're going to unpack it. The Lord's Prayer is also found in Luke chapter 11, just slightly, slightly different, and that's where Jesus, his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. But Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going through what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' longest uh, connected preaching, teaching in the New Testament. So we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 6. It'll, it'll be on the screen. Uh, you can, if you don't have a Bible, you can use the Bible that's under a chair. And if you don't have a Bible, please take the Bible that is under the chair. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Here we go. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, don't post on social media the special prayer time you had with Jesus at 5 o'clock this morning. Like that, that is your reward for people to know. Uh, verse 7, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Oh, that's nice. Right, that's like, He knows. doesn't mean don't ask Him, because then He tells us in these verses coming up, but He knows before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What if you could change your life in 21 seconds? 21 seconds. That's how long, about how, give or take a couple, the Lord's Prayer takes to pray. 21 seconds to change your life. But notice how the prayer starts. It starts with God. The focus is all heavenward. It's our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so I, I think the first kind of takeaway from the Lord's Prayer is that our prayer, our prayer should begin with God. It begins with God, not on, not on us, not on our problems, not even how, how you feel about God or how much you love God necessarily or how God gives you the victory or how he makes you feel. But the focus is on, on God, not, not even our, our sins. And, and you could categorize this type of prayer as praise. Praise is conscious of who God is. It's about God's character. It's about his holiness. It's about his majesty, his kingdom, his glory, his power. And the Lord's Prayer begins and ends with praise. It begins and ends with praise. And, and I should note, and we say it every Sunday, the, the end of the prayer, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Uh, modern, your newer translations won't have that portion of Scripture uh, because in the oldest manuscripts that we have of the New Testament, which are written in Greek, that part's not included. It was added at a later time. I still think it's a good way to end the prayer. And so we, we say it, it's become part of the, the church tradition. That, and the, when I say the church, I mean capital C church. Like it is it's still a valid prayer to pray. But praise... Um, reminds us who God is. So we begin our prayers with praise as Jesus taught us to pray. Now, this isn't the only prayer in Scripture. Okay, there are other times where Paul prays the Psalms full of prayers. 
And not every prayer begins with praise. Sometimes it's just, God, save me. Like, God, where are you? And so if you happen to skip the praise part, you haven't gone wrong, okay? We're just talking about the Lord's Prayer as we go, how, how Jesus taught us to pray. Because there are times where all you can say is, God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. But praise reminds us who God is. It sounds like, so if you're wondering, like, what does that, how do I pray the praise, our, our Father in heaven? It would, you can direct your prayers directly to God. Like, God, you are beyond comprehension, who can fathom your knowledge, your wisdom. You are compassionate and gracious, God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God, you know all things. God, you can do all things. And sometimes when we're thinking about praise, it might lead to song. Like There might be a song as you're praying that comes to mind. Uh, there was a song back, back in the 80s, in the late 80s, and probably nobody knows it, uh, Besides myself and my parents, um, but it was a song called "I Stand in Awe," and it says. And sometimes I, I sing the song as I'm, I'm praying through the Lord's Prayer. It says, "You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words." And I have it memorized, but I don't have it memorized if I don't sing it. You ever found that to be true? Right, right. Uh, so I have to look at it, but I but I do know the the song by heart. Too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. Who can grasp your infinite wisdom? Who can fathom the depth of your love? You are beautiful beyond description, majesty enthroned above. And then the song goes on to say, I stand, I stand in awe of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due, I stand in awe of you. Uh, Steve, you know that that one? Oh, yeah. We got some other. We got some other. Okay, all right, all right. Maybe I thought it was just our church. Um, There's there's some others. so we, we begin with praise, and of course we bring our, our requests and our confessions to God. But what does it matter if we don't know who God is? If God is not who he says he is? What, I mean, what does it matter? What good is it if you confess your sins to the mailman? Right? Is that, that going to do anything for you? Probably, probably not. What, what good is it if you tell your mechanic that you've been having chest pain? Or what good is it to tell your dentist that your kitchen sink won't drain? And, and so the, the idea of praise is it, it puts God, I don't say puts God like it was, we move him, but in our, in our, it moves our, our thinking about who God is so that we know that he is God. And that when we take our prayers to him, he can in fact answer and hear our prayers. That is the good news. So we begin praying with praise because it reminds us of who God is. Because if you, if you have a small God, you're not going to have much faith when you pray. Like a God who can't do much, a God who, who doesn't hear. But we begin our Father in heaven. God, our Father, is in heaven. I mean, think, I mean, God is, is the basis where we start our prayer. Like he, I mean, that is the greatest, most awesome, terrifying, shocking, wonderful, thrilling truth ever encountered by, encountered by humanity, that God is there. God sees, God knows, God knows your actions, he knows your thoughts, he knows your heart, he knows your words, and in fact, that's a little sobering to think about, um, unless you live a, a better life than, than I have, and you you probably have, uh, but nothing is hidden from God. 
Now, that's no reason to fear God and not to pray because he knows everything anyway. Like there is no dark corner of your heart that God's not aware of. There is no secret sin that, that you have somehow kept from his gaze. And so we bring it to him. In fact, in the prayer, we are, Jesus instructs us to pray for forgiveness. We, we bring all our messed upness to him. God is in heaven, but he's not just an unknowable God, an unknowable deity. He is our Father. Like this God who is in heaven is at the same time our Father. Let's let that roll around in your mind for a minute. Our Father in heaven, the God who sees and the God who is and the God who knows is your Father. He's not a, a cosmic cop up there that's waiting for you to mess up so he can get you. The God who is is our Father. And there's a beautiful contrast in these words, our Father in heaven. And theologians talk about the, the transcendence of God and the eminence of God. And the eminence of God refers to God's nearness, that God is near to us. He has come near. He can be known. He is Father. But the, the transcendence has to do with God's separateness from us. Like God is not us. I mean, there are some worldviews that say there's a divine spark within everything and everybody. That is not the Christian worldview. God is separate from us. He is separate from his creation. He is not his creation. He is the creator. He is altogether distinct. So he is eminent. He is near, but he is transcendent. And that's what our Father in heaven brings together. He is our Father. He is near, but he is transcendent. So now we're talking about our Father. And, and for some, the idea of even thinking about God as Father is repugnant because, you're, because of who your Father on earth was. Um, and, and so when we come to this, I could see how some would, would struggle to pray our Father. If you had a Father who was uh, abusive or a Father who was demeaning or a Father who was absent, like to see God as Father's, you say, Matthew, that's not helpful. But, I, but our Father in heaven does not speak of God's distance from us, but the type of Father that he is. He is a heavenly type of Father. He is a pure Father. He's not a Father who is going to let you down. He is not a Father who is going to turn his back on you. He is not a Father who gets sick. He is not a Father who is demeaning to you. His love knows no limits. His, bo- his power is boundaryless. His grace has no frontiers because it's already been every place you think it couldn't go. God's grace, he has no frontiers in his grace. And so Father in heaven, it ought to comfort us despite having earthly fathers who will let us down. Um, our earthly fathers, no matter how good they are, not, not perfect. I fail my kids all the time. I overreact. I get upset. But I am not the heavenly father. But we have a heavenly a father in heaven, a pure, a holy, without defect, without any faults. And Jesus invites us to call upon his father as our father. Think about that. Jesus invites us to call upon his father as our father. It is as if Jesus is giving us his own identity before the father and says that we should consider his father to be our own father. That's a bit wordy. Let me give that one to you again. It is as though Jesus is giving us his own identity before the Father and says that we should consider 
his father to be our father. That's, that's really good news. That is, is, I mean, has anyone ever given you their identity so that you could benefit? Pro- probably. Have you ever stolen someone's identity? No, that's a different sermon. All right. Uh, but maybe someone has given you uh, access to something because they have access to it. Maybe it's based on where they work or it's based on their, their family or based on who they know. Maybe it's based on how much, how much money they have. Um, and you get to benefit because they, they give you something. It could be something small. Like maybe they give you access to their Netflix account. Come on. You know, you know where we're going? They give you access. Or Disney Plus. Apparently you get like six accounts. Who's, who's all sharing Disney accounts right now? Um, but you want me. All right, all right. Um, it, could be, it could be something larger. We, our family one time had someone give us their, a week at their timeshare. Like, you know, they gave us access to something that I would not otherwise had access to. Um, my, my high school basketball coach now works for the Golden State Warriors. And his job is to go to to games, and he is a scout, and so he learns the, the plays of the other teams, and then he meets with the coaching staff. Sometimes he's on the bench there with Steve Kerr going uh, through, the, through the games and, and, and coaching. And he came to Denver recently to go to a Nuggets game. I was like, hey, got an extra ticket? And he's like, no. <laughs> but if you're ever in the Bay Area, I can get you on the court side. Not because I'm anybody. But because of who he works for, I get access. I get granted access because of the access that he has. Now I just got to figure out how to get to the Bay Area so I can get to a game. Um, and so it's not because of, of my credentials, but because of Jesus' credentials. And, and we can call God our Father because Jesus gives us, in a sense, his credentials to stand before the Father. And it's not a, a, uh, like a temporary thing either. You've heard, you know, the saying, mi casa, su casa. What Jesus is saying is, mi padre es su padre. Right? That's, that's a new one. We can start saying that around here. Mi padre es su padre. Uh, and and it's, like I said, it's more than a password. We actually become the children of God and can address God as Father. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. Romans 8.15 says, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Our little girl, Bennett, is adopted. And she is no less one of our kids than our biological boys. Like there, there was, She gets full rights. When Elora and I pass on, she gets her share of the inheritance. Like, there's no, no qualms uh, about it. And, and I love, well, I love when she calls me daddy, right? Like, and I don't like when she's hurt or when she's scared, but I like when she comes to me and embraces to And I often say to her, Bennett, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? <laughs> and partly I'm having fun, but partly I want her to know that regardless of her behavior, as if she's acting up or not, she is fully our Daughter, she is our girl. Now, I learned a, a bit of parenting knowledge from Zach Wilkinson, and not not too long ago. And Zach's not here today, right? He's not, um, but he wouldn't mind me sharing this. So Zach has uh, two teenage daughters, and I won't I won't point them out in the service. Um, <laughs> uh, one, so this was a few months. This was probably like a year ago. 
uh, a young man was coming to take one of the daughters for a date for the first time. And Zach told the young man, he's like, there's only two things you need to know about me. I recently got out of jail. And I'm not afraid to go back. <laughs> true story? Was that, isn't that true? Like it's all, so like, I'm like, I wrote that one down, committed it to memory. Because when, when Bennett goes on her first date when she's 25, I will also say to the young, young gentleman those very words. Because she is my daughter. Um, through and through, a, a couple years ago, right after, not, not long after Bennett had uh, come and was part of our family, one of the kids at school told Rylan that Bennett was not really his sister because she was adopted. You know, kids, they don't, they don't know. I'm like, you know, we don't know. I don't have anything towards the little, little munchkin. Um, <laughs> so Rylan, Rylan was a little um, concerned about this, and, and uh, I was like, son, do you love Bennett as much as you love your brother? And he said, way more. <laughs> Neither one of them are in here. You don't have to repeat that, please, to them. That's not what I was going for when the question, but she is our, our, she is our daughter. And in Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. And the prayer even starts, our Father. Like, and and in, in Christ, we are, we become part of the family of God. He is our Father. And I don't have time to unpack that, but God is the Father of all those who are in Christ. And in this prayer, Christians from different times, places, traditions have been united. Orthodox, Catholic, Protestant. Just think about that. When we pray as Jesus taught us to pray, our Father, we're praying with all the saints from the past. We're praying with Paul and with Mary and with the Old Testament, Moses and Esther, and all those who've come along when we pray, our Father. Like we are recognizing that we are part of the family of God. So as I, as I started today, I mentioned about the ways that we relate to God. You can relate to God in a couple ways, uh, but one is as a, a business transaction where your performance for God determines what you think, how, how God should then perform for you. Like it's a business transaction, I bring you something, you bring me something, it's, it's based on what I have for you. Whereas in a family, family relationship, the way that we are to approach God is not based on what we have, but who I am, who I am, a child of God. A, a business relationship is, is one of goods and services, it's mechanical, a family relationship is unconditional. So on, on what basis do you go to God? On what basis do you go? And you can figure this out by how your prayers are answered or not. If when your prayers go unanswered and you get angry because you've been doing everything that you should have been doing, you've been um, going to church and reading your Bible and, and, and loving your neighbor, if you've been, been living that way, that's a good way to live, and then your prayers are not answered and you're angry, well, that, that tells me you're coming to God on a business level. Or... Or if, if your prayers are unanswered and you look at your life and you say, you know what, I, I haven't been living up to standards. Like, I've, I, I haven't been a good husband. I, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not who I want to be. And you get anxious about it. You also are coming to God on a business transaction level because you're thinking, I don't have anything to offer to God, so why would he give me anything? That, that is not how we are to come uh, to God 
We pray our Father because everything else flows from there. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We have been adopted into God's family. And, and here's the thing about, about adoption uh, is that the one being adopted usually doesn't even know, has very little to say in it. Like Bennett one day could be like, uh, what would you guys do? It's a, rea- it's, a, it's a possibility. But we, we have, but that's how ad- adoption works. It's very little effort on the child's part. Um, the child often doesn't do the, the seeking. And it's the same way with our relationship with God. God has done the seeking in our relationship. He has come in Jesus Christ to bring us near to him. And, and that should give us I mean, God is as committed to us as he is committed to his own son. God is as committed to us as he is to his own son. And that should give us in prayer a sense of wonder, a sense of awe. It should, it should dust off the old staleness of our prayer life to know who God is and what he has done for us. Our God is a God in heaven, but he is our father. And the the only person who would dare wake up a king in the middle of the night is the child of the king. Um, And it would be rude for anybody else, right? It'd be rude for the, it's not even a king. It'd be rude for anybody to wake me up at three o'clock in the morning. It might even be rude for my own kids to wake me up and go back to bed. And if you have children, this, this has happened to you. You're having a very important conversation with somebody. And said child runs up to you and they start poking you. Daddy, 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 hold, hold on, hold on, I'll be right there. Daddy, 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 hold, 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 hold on, hold on, hold the, on. The, the poking, oh. <laughs> the interrupting. So parenting, just give me just a moment to overcome my, my grief. And all of a sudden, what, 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 what do you want? What do you want? Daddy, can I have a piece of candy? It's like, oh my. Um, you know, you know our children. And we, you know, we have to do some teaching with, with our children, but our children, they feel no shame in coming to us. And when we come to our Father, we should feel no shame. You should feel no shame coming to your Father and saying, Our Father in heaven. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I think it, the confidence was included because like, we know who we are. And like, and if God is king, and if he is the God of heaven, the God who created the heavens, and I'm, I'm coming to him, like, with what? But scripture says, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Our Father in heaven, we pray. So during this series, my... Uh, we're going we're gonna to get practical just a little bit. And, and you can, you know, if you want to get good in the instrument, it may be helpful to read a book or to hear a teaching on how to play said instrument. But how are you going to get better at the instrument? Practicing. Practice. Practice. It's the same way in sports. If you're trying to get better at your, your jump shot, your free throw percentage, like someone can instruct you in it, but you just got to get out there and you got to practice. And so um, for the next few weeks, at the close of our time together, we're going to take a few moments uh, together to go through some guided prayer. 
so that on, on Monday morning, you, you want to pray through the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven. Uh, I want you to be able to do that, like to come. And, and, and so this first, um, this first teaching is more on the attitude of which we come. We come as children of the King, and we say our Father in heaven. And everything else flows from that. Everything else in the prayer flows from that identity of who our Father is and who we are. But we're going to take time um, to pray in our, in our services together. And so what, what that's going to look like is I will just give instruction, and I'll give you about 20 or 30 seconds to pray. I'll give a little bit more instruction. I'll give you a little bit more time to pray. And just to begin to meditate on the Lord's Prayer, to begin to put it into practice, and so that we, we become comfortable praying um, together and, and praying when we're on our own during the week. So we're going to do that. So I'd ask just if you'd prepare your hearts for a few moments and um, and we're just going to pray the first part of the prayer, our Father in heaven. So would you take a moment and just meditate on being God's child and he being your father. just a simple God you are my father thank you for adopting me into your family I didn't deserve it I still don't deserve it stop to, to ponder, to think about the, the vastness of God's creation and the mountains and the streams and the birds of the air, the fish of the water, the climates, the seasons, the stars. God, you are beyond comprehension. has all knowledge, God who has all wisdom. You are a God, you are God in heaven. You can do all things.
see you for who you are. God overall, the giver and sustainer of life. things. If, if you would like uh, to, to pray as, as a church more often, uh, every Sunday morning at 9.25, from about 9.25 to 9.35, it's just about 10 minutes uh, before service, we, uh, after we've got everything set up, we do the sound check, we stop, and, and we pray together for about 10 minutes, and that's something um, we've been doing for a while, but you're more than welcome to come to that every, every Sunday morning. Every third Thursday evening, is we, we gather to pray for, for an hour together. I'd encourage you to come to that. And then next Sunday, we're kicking off 21 days of prayer and fasting. 21 days of prayer and fasting. Fasting. Woo! Who's with me? All right. <laughs> the voluntary denial of food. Um, and, and this is something that, as, as a church every January to take time, and I've gone through what fasting is previously, but just to give you a, um, a, little, a little bit of background, and I'll send some things out this week around fasting and the purpose of fasting, but really, in, in fasting, well, so let me give you a couple def, different definitions from some, some folks. Um, it's a voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes, uh, the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity another definition. Abstaining from anything innocent in itself in order to grow more spiritually or serve God more effectively. I like that one. Fasting is a God-ordained form of self-denial. And, and fasting is not twisting God's arm. Like where we're going to beat and subject ourselves so that then God hears our, our Father. He hears us. Um, and so, so praying, so there's some different, different types of fast. There's a standard fast, which is water only. There's the absolute fast, no food or water. Uh, and if you're doing a water-only fast or food or water, you need to do it wisely. Like you can hurt yourself if you go for a period of time and then go right back into eating. Uh, but a partial fast, maybe you restrict certain foods. It's become common to, to call it a Daniel fast, even though for Daniel it wasn't a fast, but we, we call it that. Um, an intermittent fast, maybe during daylight or one meal a day, or a soul fast, soul fast, abstaining, again, from anything innocent of itself, just to, to 
seek after God with our whole heart. Things that aren't necessarily sinful, but, but we want to focus on God. In, in Scripture, we see biblical examples of that. We see um, Paul talks about a married couple not having sex for a period of time to devote themselves to God. Um, and so a soul fast, it could be maybe for these 21 days, you, you fast a, a hobby or social media or TV altogether or Netflix or video games your smartphone. Most of these have to do with technology, right? Well, I'm, I'm listening off here. Um, so things in themselves that aren't, aren't, aren't bad or harmful, but they could be distractions that we want to clear off, clear out. And so, so there is no, we don't want to, I don't want to be legalistic about it. Like what I'd like for you to do is take this week and, and think about it, pray about how God would have you participate. It could be, you know, for the 21 days, maybe one day a week, you, you don't eat any food. Maybe it's, you know, for these 20, 21 days, I'm not going to watch any shows. Um, so there's no, and, and we're not going to have you sign anything or say anything or be asking. Um, you're like, Matthew, nobody should know we're fasting. Jesus said that. True, but also in the book of Acts, we see where the whole church fasted together at times. So they must have known in some, some regards. Um, it, and I would just... The people in Scripture who fasted, the list is exhaustive, it's extensive. Jesus fasted, that should be enough. Um, Moses, Hannah, David, Elijah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel, the people of Nineveh, including the cattle, involuntary, no doubt. Uh, Paul, the Christians at Antioch. Um, and so just, I just want to share one verse with you on fasting. There's a number of reasons why we fast. Uh, and I may share these in the coming weeks. But the main thing is we are just turning our attention to the Lord. Turning our attention to the Lord. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, so Daniel has been taken, he's taken captive. Um, he is, uh, Israel is no more. Jerusalem is no more. Um, the temple had been destroyed. But Daniel, in verse 2, says, In the year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from scriptures, so he'd been reading scripture, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth, in ashes. So it has this idea of turned, of having a full, like, God, you have got my full attention. I am going to have a, a soul detox, a spiritual detox for a few days just so I can turn my attention to you, Lord. So that, that's, the, that's our goal, to draw near to God, to hear God, to, to get our, our minds, our, our souls right as we head into the, to the new year. Um, all right? It's uh, fasting isn't glamorous and it's hard and it's not it's not fun but my, my prayer is that at the end of that 21 days of prayer and fasting that in some way you will have drawn near to God in a, in a way that you had not been before